welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello and welcome to DevCast, Devil Smith's audio series which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with professionals of the property industry. I'm Laura Crogan, Communications Manager, and today I'm very thrilled to be joined by founder of Women Talk Real Estate, Andrea Carpenter. Thanks so much for coming into the studio, Andrea. How are you today? Very good, thank you. A little bit wet. It's been yeah, raining outside, but I managed to get here, you know, not completely soaked. That, that's good news. Um, so just a little bit of a background on Andrea. So before launching Women Talk Real Estate, Andrea worked for commercial property trade bodies, including the Urban Land Institute, as well as earning her position as director and interim chief executive at InRev, an industry associated based in Amsterdam. This was followed by a year in Hong Kong, where she was director for ANREV, InRev's Asian sister organisation. On her return to the UK, she worked as head of marketing and communications, Europe, Middle East and Asia at CBRE Global Investors, where she oversaw the corporate programme marketing, press, branding and internal communications in the region. So, lots of experience there, um, but let's just dig right in for about Women Talk Real Estate. So for those who don't know about Women Talk Real Estate, can you begin by explaining what it is and why you thought of the concept? Thank you. It's um, Well, Women Talk Real Estate, at the heart of essentially what we do with Women Talk Real Estate is a database of female experts, industry professionals who are keen to speak at industry events. What myself and my co-founder, Victoria Grubasic, recognised was that there was just not enough women on stage. You know, we, we, we're, we're two things in an industry. We're very male-dominated, but we're also a very sociable industry. So there's a massive platform out there for female voices every day, whether it's breakfast seminars, lunchtime seminars, dinners awards exhibitions so the idea that we could kind of combine those two and really think about how important visibility was for women to be on stage so what we did is there seemed to be a gap between event organizers wanting to have more different female voices on stage and being able to find them so we thought well if we just put a database together that's quite simple that will bridge that gap so that's at the heart of what we do it's um, now got around just close to 700 female professionals Amazing. in it yeah it's really yeah beyond how expensive Expectations. We thought we'd get 100 in the first year and we're about two and a half years in. So we certainly underestimated ourselves how many amazing women there are in this industry who really want to express their opinion. And then on top of that, we also do some training because we recognise there's a confidence gap for some women going on stage. Absolutely no different than for some men. But if there's fewer of us, you know, we've got to kind of harness more people, to, more females to get up there. So we do that as well. Okay. That's great. Um, so which events do you partner with? Yeah. Right across the the industry actually um, to their credit every every single event organizer that we went to said yep we're really interested in using this so they come on board as an industry partner I say we have over a hundred organizations who are registered but we're also very open to companies using it we've had companies who are doing client conferences use it we've had universities use it to look for visiting lecturers so we're really open for any requests where there's a legitimate platform for a voice for a female professional 
Great. Um, so is Women Talk Real Estate open to anyone? Uh, yes and no. I think, you know, we we do, we, we mainly take female professionals who are probably mid to senior level. That's not a hard and fast rule because if you look at the tech side of our business, you can often be in your 20s and doing an amazing entrepreneurial role where you're on stage a lot. So we take them on an individual by individual basis. And the reason we do have that slight vetting process is because we recognize that event organizers need a certain kind of profile. So we don't want to just have everyone and, you know, event organizers find actually it's filled with people who are not quite right for that yet. So for those who don't quite meet the requirements for the database, we encourage them to improve their visibility first and otherwise by getting involved in other organizations, some of the women's networks or things like ULI and InRev often have young professional networks where you can increase your visibility and your experience in other ways and you'll soon hit that point where you can be in the database. Definitely, and I'm sure after some of the, the training that you guys hold as well. What is, what is if you can go into a bit more detail about the training? Yes, yeah, so we do, um, the most popular course is one called uh, Become an Expert Panelist, which really just breaks down the concept of being on a panel. I think it's really industry interesting that we don't actually train enough around this because it's a key component to what we do on, on uh, you know, at events. So what we want to do is make sure that women are know how to prepare, know how to get, the, um, get their points across, and just break down the fact that actually you don't just arrive and get asked questions there is some preparation behind it so you can influence what you want to talk about influence what you don't want to talk about we also cover things that women worry about like being asked difficult questions and things like that so and it's great it's a way and honestly every woman who's come on that course has had some reservation about it at the beginning and then they find their confidence we do a lot of practice and they're like actually that's you know that's a lot of kind of um, reward for a little bit of practice most women arrive saying I'd rather do a 20 minute speech which takes me a week to prepare yeah. we're saying no you're going to you're going to go on panels this is how That's you're going to do it end up enjoying it yeah um so what's the process behind it if i wanted to say hire a speaker or speak personally so if you want to be a speaker you just go on to the website and set and hit the button become a speaker we've got just a short registration form that comes through to us where we do actually do that due diligence that i talked about and in most cases you know women who are ready or their you know their company has kind of highlighted they'd like them to speak are, are more the women that apply so they quickly we quickly send them login details and then their profile pages a bit like a LinkedIn page so it's got their bio their career history any videos we have of them speaking as well so anything that kind of gives event organizers comfort like oh yeah this sounds like a great person to have on stage then on the other side of it if you're an event organizer you click on the button find a speaker again we ask you to register once again we just check that you're you know what you want to use the database for and then you open up and go through the profiles if you find one you like there's a contact box on there you write in an email write in it as though it's an email it goes direct to the speaker's email email inbox um, when they re when they respond that's a conversation between the event organizer and the speaker so very simple and easy yeah and we've just actually hit just over five we've just hit the 500 mark in terms of invitations that have gone from the Amazing. database that's and that's to around 240 different women so that's one of the figures I always talk about because I'm very proud that we're expanding the range of voices on stages you know we 
we've been very reliant on some amazing women to represent us, but I think they're quite happy to share the load with some new voices coming through. Definitely. So is there a fee for speakers or event organisers? There isn't. I think we didn't want there to be any barrier to this not working because we thought it's a nice simple practical idea and actually both Victoria and I have a history of working in non-profits as does Liz Waller who's now on board at Victoria on maternity leave you know all of us kind of know the power of the non-profit actually in terms of opening doors be you know having that sort of industry level of support which this industry is also very good at so the fact is that we didn't want to charge women to be in the database because um, um, that would then be self-selecting and if you you know if you pay to be in it you know did you need to get one or two you know if you didn't get an invite that year would you come back next year and we also didn't want to um to charge event organizers because to be honest they're just not going to pay for stuff that they should know already you know but having a useful tool as a resource has been very important for them so and i think they appreciate it by supporting us through marketing and visibility of what we do great um, so are there any ri- rising stars on your database who are making a real impact? I wouldn't probably pick out individuals. It's difficult when you've got sort of 700 there. I think, again, I've sort of, what I've been astonished at is the range of types of jobs that women are doing out there. And one of the things we talk about is challenging the stereotypes of what women do in this industry. You know, that we're, we're not just doing a certain class of job or, a certain, you know, and, and there's no typical job that a woman does in this industry from design through to finance through to planning, community engagement, everything, you know. And so if you give me a topic, I would find you, I probably could find you at least two or three speakers on every topic. So we've not been flawed too much yet on that. So in terms of rising stars, they're all rising stars because not many, many of our women have, you know, started their, you know, either kind of been at the early stage of their speaking career through us or kind of not had so much experience. So they're all rising stars, I guess. That's great. Um, So you come with a wealth of uh, communications experience. Um, So why did you choose property? It chose me, actually, if I'm honest. Yeah, um, and I'm quite convinced once you're in property, you can't get out, and that has that's Good been borne out. Yeah, just as a tip there, yeah. I actually, I was trained as a journalist, and I was offered a six, I was offered a sort of a six-week summer internship on Building Magazine, which is the construction industry, so not even as glamorous as the property industry. And after that, I went to work for Building Magazine for six months once I left college, and then they didn't have a job for me because I was just covering a maternity leave. But upstairs, Property Week worked, and they oh, were looking cool. for a reporter. So I um, I accepted the job there, and so two weeks later or something, I moved upstairs, and when I got there, I found about three or four invitations for different parties on my desk already. So Amazing. I thought, this sounds like quite a nice <laughs> part of the world to be working in. And I think it's hugely interesting, and I, I you know, the fact is that everything, you know, real estate's all around you, you know, it has to be kind of more interesting than working, you know, talking about bonds or shares and things like that. So yeah. I'm really pleased to be in this part of the industry. Cool. Um, so how has the industry developed since you started? From an overall perspective, um, it's got much more financial and much more um, cross-border. I think when I when I started, I did Property Week for three years and I became editor of Euro Property magazine and just by no, no 
no kind of judgment at all. I started a month before the Euro came into force in 1999 there. So I was suddenly covering a European um, European landscape with this, you know, the main barrier taken away to investment. So I suddenly kind of was watching this whole change of the industry and that attracted a lot more international capital. So I think that's been a huge change. And obviously that ran up to the global financial crisis from which the industry took away a lot of lessons. And I think now in terms of how it's changing, I'm really pleased to see that there's a huge swell of conversation about not just financial returns, but making sure there's very positive social outcomes for what we do as an industry. And I think we are really embracing, much more embracing our role and our responsibilities around that now. Definitely. Um, Now, as you launch Women Talk Real Estate, you must be very passionate about women having visibility in the industry. Um, Have you had an experience where you were treated differently to your male colleagues? Not so much individually, I have to say, but that's also because I didn't, my career wasn't in the traditional property industry. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in the media industry to begin with. That was pretty Mm 50-50. I went into non-profits that was pretty female dominated. So I don't think, I don't think I experienced them personally, but I started, a few years ago, I started to have friends who were applying for fairly senior jobs and we'd be excited and they'd get through the interview process. And then the, you know, the salary expectation would arrive. And we were all like, our jaws dropped. We just knew that these were not the figures mm-hmm. that these women should be getting. And I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't know where that comes from, but the instinct is that that wouldn't have happened to a man in that role. So and that's what we all talked about. And, you know, I'm very proud of my friends for turning those jobs down by saying, well, actually, no, if you're not going to value me at that. So I started to see that and I started to realise you know we're doing women talk real estate that the whole idea of trying to be a good role model to um, women was very important in the industry so I've really enjoyed you know three years ago if you told me I was going to be running a diversity initiative I would probably have laughed at you because you know when you are a woman who who I feel like I've got on well in my career and it's not been a worry when you kind of get a bit old you start to realise that's not everyone's story so it's really nice to just be able to kind of do what you can and Women Talk Real Estate has been a really really positive experience of in terms of my career. That's great. Um, and how about when you went over to Europe and Asia? Any challenges there? I worked in um, I worked in continental Europe for, um, in Amsterdam for three years and then Hong Kong for a year. I think continental Europe was I think being in that European environment is I suppose just overly more respectful of different cultures and different diversities. So you don't, I really didn't feel it then. I think that's a really lovely part of the industry to be in. Yeah. Um, in Asia, I don't know whether it's a gender thing, but certainly the business culture is very different. And for many people who've been there a long time, it's in Hong Kong particularly, it's embedded in the sort of the history of Britain and the empire. And you feel a little <laughs> bit like it's weird to suddenly go to a culture where you're not meant to speak out to someone who's, okay, you know, yeah. your senior or something. When I'm used to just from the age of 25, when I became editor of Europe, to, to walking into CEO's offices and being able to talk to them about their business. So the whole idea that I suddenly was restrained in who I could talk to was a little bit different I have to Very say foreign, I can imagine. yeah but whether that's a gender issue I don't know but I don't think being Culture a as well. yeah, yeah being sure. a mouthy woman at <laughs> that point helped either yeah, yeah. Um, so there's an interesting fact here which might cause uh, some controversy mm. it is now estimated that as many as five percent of all American companies with more than 500 staff offer egg freezing as a benefit to female workers what are your thoughts on this one my instinct is it's not right. Yeah. 
my instinct. I think because I think anyone interfering in a woman's reproductive choices is a bad idea. That should be between whoever's having the baby. Is it even a gender discussion? Yeah. What happens if you're a man who wants to have babies yeah. later? Do you find a woman to the company freeze those eggs? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's true. It's also and it's also. I mean. Okay, you could argue it's about choice. You know, it gives a woman the choice, but it also makes a presumption that she is going to delay her career to do that. So you as a, an employer are going to get her for longer before she goes on maternity leave and you're pushing her towards a possible medical intervention that's not necessary. What happens if it doesn't work with the eggs, that she wasted time not doing it naturally? It's very, you know, and that, and just then fundamentally it doesn't change the issue of actually what they, companies need to do is make better childcare arrangements, for, you know, maternity leave, paternity leave, parental leave for everyone. So make the environment yeah. better, yeah. yeah. Finland yeah. have recently made it so it's equal maternity yeah. and paternity leave. They both get seven months each. Yeah, and that's great because I think if you are a woman with one child sitting in an interview, you know, you're conscious, both your employer's probably conscious, potential employer might be conscious that you're going to go and have another baby. And what that should not be a factor. But if you're sat there with that person's partner, they could also go on mater- paternity so leave. So yeah. it evens the playing field out a bit as well as providing you know what should be rightly a shared responsibility and most families want to do it that way these days so they should save the money they're spending on freezing eggs and putting it into better parental leave and better conditions for families such as flexible working definitely i definitely agree with you there Mm. so um irrespective of gender now as an entrepreneur what challenges did you face I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur and I thought well stop having imposter syndrome Andrea and start (laughs) accepting it Um, I I suppose the most entrepreneurial thing I've done is women talk real estate so Victoria and I set that up and what I I, thinking about it the actually doing it was probably the advice Um, I literally came home from a conference late at night Victoria works lives around the corner from me I knocked on her door and kind of wheeled my suitcase in and said I don't like the fact there was no women on stage today at this event. I've had a German of an idea and we brainstormed it. And sometimes it still takes me aback that from that conversation we actually did it. So I think number one advice is is do it. It's quite scary. Number two advice is quite boring, which is to do a business plan. I know that seems (laughs) obvious, but the fact that Victoria and I spent the first few weeks actually just putting down everything on paper. Who would our audience be? Where would we get the money from? What's the universe of women in the industry? What's the universe of event organisers? You know, we didn't need to show it to anyone, but I have to say, preparing yourself in that way to then go into a meeting with a picture of your website on a piece of white A4 paper made that a lot easier to answer the questions. What about if someone hasn't got any um, experience in business? Well... I don't know what you do in terms of are they working in a company already or something? Yeah, I guess so. Maybe, um, mm. say, put down a business plan. Would you just say, oh, think of your target audience? Or Yeah, definitely think of who your target audience is, where you're going to get the money from, what's the sustainability of the business, um, what are the risks as well. So I think putting all that in one place, you know, gives you a – opens up ideas of where you should then do research and what your next steps should be. Cool. Um, so what have you learned over the years – well, one, actually two people in my career have told me that I'm, you know, there's a point in your career when it's them and us and you move to being a manager rather than part of the team. And I was always told I wasn't very good at the them and us. 
So I made the decision that actually I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to go with trying to trying to be, you know, supportive to the team as well as kind of fitting with the management view. So I've learned that about myself, I think. I've learned the importance of networks. I think I was just having lunch in Pret-a-Manger and someone who's been working abroad for 10 years was in there, went and said hello. Oh, that's awesome. and, and that's really nice because I haven't seen it. And the guy, and he introduced me to the guy he was with and the guy said, oh, I saw you on stage at the ULI conference last week. So Amazing. visibility matters. Basically, that's so basically, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in doing this, keeping contact with people and being interested in what people are doing, I think always just kind of pays dividends in the end. You know, you just get lots of good ideas. You, you keep well informed and that's always helpful for I your guess career. I the uh, evolution of digital has also helped the connection as well with LinkedIn. I think so, yeah, but from a journalistic point of view, I feel more like a dinosaur than, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I've not been a journalist for many years yeah. now, but seeing how, you know, people who now work in the States Gazette and Property Week, yeah. I've worked in both of those, have to deal with doing digital journalism yeah. every day. I think that's a, a challenge, but I think, yeah, it's, uh, we used to have a much more relaxed Friday than I think they have. They're writing blogs and doing Twitter and things like that. We were out to lunch. It's a very different era. Um, so as well as being a journalist, you also wrote a book in twenty. It was the high rise and fall. Um, so will we be expecting another one? Another book, probably not at the moment. I don't, that one took me about four years to do, so yeah. oh, it's quite what, a commitment. It so it was sort of what, a bit about what I talked earlier, the fact that I stumbled into the European industry just at the point where it was getting hugely global, international, let's say, and financial. And it was it had attracted a lot of US capital to, to the region, and that had really changed the way people invested and how they were investing. And I realized, kind of looking back a few years later, that that was a very, um, defini defining period for this industry in terms of where it is today so for students and young professionals coming in to know that the fact that the market they live they work in is obviously hundreds of years old the <laughs> landlord tenant relationship but actually as a modern financial industry I think you probably date it back to the early 90s so then the Lehman crash happened you think well it's now a really good story yeah. isn't it so you then had the kind of the boom and bust which is very typical in this industry so to be able to chart that and understand that was great and I say it's for you know if you're a, if you're going into university now at age 18 you were probably nine when Lehman's crashed so and that's still something that the industry is contending with the lessons from that so actually being able to understand the way the industry developed before that happens I think is increasingly important we you know we're good at kind of having short institutional memories in in this industry so trying to kind of keep that there so it was just fun to do as well you know it was they say write about you what you know and that's what had gone on around me and what I knew so in terms of another book I'm not sure I know anything else what so so we won't be expecting a book on Brexit and property uh, no, I think, you know, the one area that always tempts me is retail because of the transformation that retail is going through at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that everyone on the street sort of understands. So there's a bigger story there, both in mm. what the property industry's role has been in creating yeah. the retail environment we have, but also what its role is um, in terms of um, transforming it to maybe a more mixed use and different type of retail environment now. And that's my pitch if there's a publisher <laughs> out there. No, I'm not going to take another four years to do a book. Yeah. Um, so what does the future look like for Andrea and Women Talk Real Estate? Well, for Women Talk Real Estate, we've got some really exciting things coming up. We've just launched the Speakers Cafe, which is um, something we're doing on a monthly basis where women can sign up to come along and practice 
public speaking we realize there's a gap between doing your training and maybe getting your first invitation so and and that you know people turn up to to sign up and be on a panel but they also turn up to watch those panels because these women have great opinions and we're just learning so much from these sort of they're not even we call them mock panels but they're not really practice panels so we're doing that that's a great environment for anyone who's younger also who wants to um, find out a bit more about speaking and what it's like and have a go when does that take that takes place um, towards the end of the, the month so if you sign up for the Women Talk Real Estate newsletter on the website you can definitely find out about that okay. sign up they sell out quickly it's really yeah, it's that's great good. news yeah we're also going to try it we're also looking into putting on a course about preparing to be a non-executive director in the industry it's another area where we know we're underrepresented by females and it's an it's still an area that's pretty locked down by who you know and what your network yeah. is so if women can start preparing for that earlier start you know knowing how to network to understand where those opportunities are and who they should meet to kind of do that that's another place where we can make an impact and it extends the visibility matters and the sort of the practical nature of what we do about trying to get more women visibility great sounds like lots of plans which is very exciting that's busy yeah yeah um okay so just to close the podcast how we do with uh, every dev cast mm. is our quick fire round so i'm going to ask you a question and respond as quick as you can cool so flexi working or nine to five flexi working apple or android apple pizza or pasta pizza btr or home ownership home ownership on that generation <laughs> and the question that we ask all of our uh, invites ease in is if you could own any building in the world what would it be and what would you do with it this is quite a personal one actually because yeah. I'm going to choose the home I grew up in until I was about 19 which actually my family hasn't lived in until the late 90s and it does have a sort of a wider real estate perspective because it's just outside Cambridge in a place called Girton and there's a big um, massive new development there called Northwest. Cambridge or which I think is now being called Eddington so if I look at the aerial photos I can see this huge kind of pit of dirt and buildings springing up things like that and then just at the very edge of that is the the, the house that I grew up in so I think just it's a lesson to me in actually progress in terms of what the real estate industry does is sometimes difficult when it's in your backyard even if you haven't lived there for a long time so I hope they do a good job with that and I'm sure that they will in Northwest quarter but I suppose what, what I do is to buy the building pick it up just put it somewhere else oh, you know I don't amazing. even need to live yeah. I don't even need to live in it I just would like to know that it's still standing that's somewhere that's amazing it's so interesting to hear everyone's different answers and uh, that one as well is particularly unique mm. um, but yeah thank you so much for coming in Andrew it's been an absolute pleasure um, and best of luck for everything we've thank you thank you thank you so much for having me today join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrelsmith.com and you will receive the latest Deadcast episode direct to your inbox.